I have noticed about my own writing that characters were hard. Everybody in my books, male or female, became a middle-aged, sarcastic white guy. Welcome to the Two Authors Chat Show, an entertaining podcast with two best-selling authors connecting readers with an eclectic array of distinguished guests through lively conversation and interviews. Hosted by mystery suspense and thriller writers, Douglas Pratt and Nicholas Harvey. Douglas Pratt, we're here on our podcast again. What have you been up to lately? Pretty nice weekend. We've kind of had ice over here in, in Tennessee. It melted last week, which has caused a massive amount of mud. Like, you know, for those of you who know, who may or may not know, I have like five acre little farm out in the country. And right now all I'm farming is mud. The other night, uh, my wife and I were going to sneak out and go into town, visit some friends about seven o'clock. So it was nice and dark. And I back out in my Jeep. And as I back out, there's a, uh, a horse running up my driveway. I mean, it happens to be my horse. <laughs> That's where you keep your horse in the driveway? Not generally. No, generally she stays in the back pasture, but she had <laughs> snuck out and found all the nice green grass that she hadn't, the winter grass she hadn't eaten down up front. But uh, So she was traipsing around and we were, I get my, my youngest son and I running around through the mud. I'm dressed to go out to dinner and uh, I'm running, just mucking it up everywhere. Uh, once that ice melts, all we had was just thick, thick layers of mud. So, So most of yesterday I spent fixing fences and trying to find where she got out, which hopefully we did. If she gets out again, we'll have to fix it again. Well, I flew to Colorado for a day. So it was my mum's 80th birthday, which is uh, somewhat a, a landmark, I would say. I would say so. Happy and birthday, lived- mum. Yeah, happy birthday, mum. So it was um, actually the second, but um, we couldn't get away. My brother and his wife couldn't get away during the week. So we flew out Friday night landed late Friday night, stayed in a place in Fort Collins, and then uh, drove up the mountain early the next morning to where she lives with a friend of hers and uh, surprised her at a place that has down the road. And uh, yeah, it was, it was lovely. It was great to have the family That's together awesome. for a, for a beat. Yeah. We spent the day there. We went to, had a wonderful breakfast with a group of uh, friends. These guys that owns this house where she keeps her horse, lovely log cabin. You know, there's a couple inches of snow down. It's in this Canyon. It's a beautiful blue sky day. Everything was really, really good. We went down into old Fort Collins, uh, which has got a really neat downtown area. Just spent the day and, and then had a really nice meal. Nice. And uh, then we flew out early uh, the next morning. So, um, yeah, a lot of flying, which is just such a delight to uh, fly. For some of us that are old, old farts like me and almost like you, we can remember the days prior to 9-11 when uh, flying was actually an adventure and uh, could be pleasurable and long gone are those yes. days. It is hell on wheels to fly anywhere. So I think I'd almost rather drive. I think I'd rather drive 12 hours, up to 12 hours. I think that's like the max before I'd want to fly. It's that much of a pain to get to. So There's sort of a crossover point, isn't there, that the amount of time it takes you to drive to the airport, wherever your airport is, the amount of time it takes to get, you know, you have to be there so much time beforehand. And then definitely if you're connecting somewhere, you start adding up the time and everything else, then it's um, then it's almost better to drive. I throw in rental cars too. If you get a rental car, figure out how to get away oh, from the, the airport. It's, it's, a, it's a lot. You know? Oh, yeah, big time. All right, so this week's show is titled Connecting with Readers, and we have a fabulous author by the name of Nick Thacker who has a uh, – actually has his own email service similar to 
mail align MailChimp called author email, but it's uh, better value from what I've, I've seen. So he is an expert on connecting with readers. And coming up, we're going to interview Nick, where we don't talk very much about connecting with readers. <laughs> yeah, it went straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did went, it went straight. But Nick is a ton of fun, uh, and it's a really enjoyable uh, interview coming up. So we'll get to that in a moment. And uh, first of all, we have a couple of uh, audience questions. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Uh, our first question actually comes from Bob in Vero Beach, Florida. That would be nice. Vero Beach is a nice, warm area, too, so probably better than Colorado. So uh, Warmer. His, uh, his question for us is, do you get to meet many readers at signings or events? Yeah, it's a good question. I haven't done many signings or events. I did a book signing very, very early on when I had one book out back in 2019 at a local little bookstore in Davidson, North Carolina, uh, a lovely little uh, bookstore there. And it was fun. Some people that knew me came by and it was a busy Saturday morning. So people were dropping in and uh, chatting and what have you. So that was very nice. But I've never done a book signing or a real event since. But I have been fortunate. We lived in Key Largo for nearly three years and lots of people, especially divers, and as soon as my books have a lot of diving in them, come down to the Keys. And so I've actually got to meet quite a few readers who are in town. If they, they'd email me or something and reach out message and um, we'd go meet them for a coffee or something. And on a couple of occasions, we were able to work it out to actually uh, go diving with them, which is uh, a lot of fun. And then we were in Cayman the end of last year for four weeks while I was writing Anchor Point. And I think uh, three different readers were coming down on holiday at different periods of time while we were there. And the same thing, we got to either meet up or go diving with uh, some readers. Hey, there. You're so, like a full-time experience for you like uh, you read his books he'll take you diving it's that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> not here in south texas <laughs> the water's a tad cool and like it's sand forever into the gulf yes, so it's like, and it's all brown probably too so if you're on it's my- pretty brown at the moment yeah yeah so what about you doug i've done a few signings um not, not a ton of signs most of them have been li- like the local libraries around uh memphis got a good friend of mine who works for library so i've done several events with her and talks and through during the pandemic we did a lot of zoom talks and, and met up with some people and i've done a few live live ones and they're they're always fun you know until you get a few where you show up and like the first one i did with her it was pouring down rain i get there and there's two people there so it was you know it became a conversation which is good but uh it's not always uh neither of them had read my book they just wanted to get out of the, from the rain so but I'd love to do some more. I think uh, doing signings and meeting readers is probably one of the coolest things you get to do. So when somebody comes up and says, hey, I read your book and I'm looking forward to the next one, it's like, wow, that's that's pretty awesome. It is. Yeah, it, it, it really means more than they can imagine when you uh, come across that sort of thing. And and I, th- I think we both say the same thing. I mean, if you're John Grisham, you have somebody who looks at all these emails and messages that you get because there's probably a large number. But for me, I, I get quite a few emails and messages on social media and stuff from readers, and we try to reply to everything. And I love getting them. I think it's great interaction. Yes, I agree with you totally. Um, and I try to answer every one of them as timely as I can because sometimes it takes a couple of days to get back around to them. But I usually answer every one of them because I just think it's, it's neat that they, they respond. I mean, even the ones that I, I've had a few are less than nice but most people who respond <laughs> I mean, almost all been just amazing uh, amazing people and, and get actually develop some relationships with them along the way so it's it's neat how that works and uh you know i i really can't imagine like i i was a big john grisham fan i met him a couple of times i can't imagine like dropping him an email and him responding back to me um that would have been just the coolest thing ever so 
All right. Well, let's uh, move the second question to uh, maybe the next show since we're running a little long and get straight to the interview portion with best-selling author, Mr. Nick Sacker. Today's guest today is going to be Nick Thacker, who's a very prolific writer. Who's got uh, how many books do you have out right now, Nick? I just say forty plus because I can't count that high. So more than your hands and fingers and hands and toes. Right? I guess uh, more, more than my hands and fingers. So I'm like, all right, well, I, I reached the end of that list. So <laughs> let's do it by uh, uh, series. How many series do you have? That's a trickier one. I mean, it shouldn't be trickier, but again, being very unintelligent, uh, it's very tricky for me. Um, my main series has like 14 books in it. I've got another series that has three going on four. Well, and that's the, then I've started like a hundred series. You know, that's the problem. I've got like one book in all the rest of the series. So 40 plus, let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the business model you teach, is it, for authors? Just start one book in a series and then go on to another one? That's the one that I fell into. I just got so frustrated, you know, and I was like, I'm tired of this Harvey Bennett guy. I'm just kill him off. And everyone was like, if you kill him off, we'll kill you. So I said, okay, well, fine. I'll just start eight new series before I write another Harvey Bennett book. So when, when did you start? When did you first publish your first book? That was back in 2012. 2014, I think, is the, the date on Amazon for that first one, which is called The Atlantis Stone. Um, originally, it was called The Golden Crystal. But yeah, I, I didn't have, I never wanted to write anything. I was done after high school. I was, you know, F you all. I hate you guys. Make, make me read these stupid literature books. <laughs> you know, I was from Texas, right? So I'm like, you know, intelligence and reading and all those kind of things. We're not, we didn't want to have, waste time with that. So I was like, you know, I'm done. I'm never going to write anything ever again. And um, my granddad died uh, 2011, I believe, and kind of as a gift to my dad, his his son. I wrote. I was like, I'm going to write a book, and I'm going to write something that the kind of book that we all wrote, that we all read, you know. And that became the Golden Crystal, which is horrendous in every way. I mean, it was awful to just <laughs> completely off base market wise. Um, didn't know what I was doing. The story was in there. It was fun, but it it just needed to be edited. And kind of ironically, I uh, was blogging about the process at the time. And uh, somebody, one of my many, many two or three readers that I had emailed me and said, hey, I'm, I'm an air traffic controller. I'm, I'm, I'm going to retire and I'd love to you know edit books as my second career, would you let me edit your book for free um, in exchange for, you know, a good testimonial? I was like, yeah, sure. He did a bang up job. He, he fixed the hell out of it. It was totally readable. Just, re I mean, I should have put his name on the cover. I always joke with him. <laughs> um, full circle. And I know this isn't, you guys didn't ask this, but that became the first book. Full circle. It was like, you know, seven or eight years later, I'm in Hawaii. I get a call. It's the same guy. And he's like, hey, I'm a writer now and I'm writing books. And now we're like best buds. His name is Mike Morehouse. You guys may know him. Okay. Yeah. Right, so MP McDougal. So he's a he's a great dude. Uh, he edited my first book. He's done some of my audio books now, and we've kept in touch over the years. So kind of cool. I, I mean, ultimately, that's why I think I kept doing this was because it's such. A, I mean, you guys know it's such a small community of people who just are masochists. We're like, I want to write a book, and that sounds like fun, and we do it. And then there's like more of us, and we find each other, and we're like, well, shit, I guess I got to keep going because these guys are doing it. <laughs> but it's such a great community, you know, us, us, us writer folk. Yeah, it's like many trades. When you look at the people doing it, you go, how hard can it be? <laughs> Dude, that's exactly what I thought. Believe it or not, and I always tell this story because it's really funny. Um, I literally have like a very vivid memory of talking to my wife in the middle, the muddy middle, right, or the muddle of this stupid book. And I was like, I don't, I don't know how to do this. This is hard. I thought it was going to be easy because I read all these books and they all kind of, you know, they, they, they're sucking a certain way and I figured I could do better. And this is really hard. And she was like, yeah. We all knew that that would be hard, you know, and I'm like, well, I didn't know. Nobody told me. I literally had the thought, I wonder if anyone's ever written a book 
about like how to write a novel, like how to outline this thing or how to craft characters. And I got on Amazon and I was like, oh, look, look at that. There's a couple, you know, there's people have done this before. So <laughs> I, I had no idea That's how naive I was. I had no idea. I was ignorant, completely ignorant. And, and it opened up, I took six months off and read all these books and then came back to it, finished the book. And that became the, the Golden Crystal. That's a good question, actually. Uh, Doug, have you read any of the how-tos, craft, and all that stuff? Are you edumacated? I, I saw him start to sweat because he thought you were going to ask if he's read my books, and he was like, I saw the bead of sweat drip down his <laughs> yeah, forehead. No, I'm not reading any <laughs> books, no. <laughs> I've read a few of those uh, how-tos, um, and I, I found them to be somewhat not helpful, but I don't know. But then again, I suck, so it's one of those things. <laughs> why, why are they, you, don't, you, don't like, you don't think they're helpful? Some of them are. I mean, some of them are really good. Uh, there's been uh, – how oh, was the – Probably one of the best ones as far as talking about story was uh, was it Robert McKee? Fabulous one, yeah. I mean, oh, that's like the Bible, man. Things like a, a tome. Yeah, that was. It took a while to get through. Yeah, but I think that sometimes uh, you get you know, like I mean, I loved on writing by Stephen King, but at the same time, he also writes a specific way that I don't necessarily write. Yeah, and that was for me mostly memoir than it was craft. Right, you know, yes. he was just showing, hey, this is what what's worked for me. I highly recommend, you know, uh, heroin. Uh, microdosed over the course of 24 hours, stay drunk the whole time. And I'm like, okay, pump the brakes, buddy. Like, leave <laughs> stuff for the rest yeah. of us, you know? Yeah, be stoned. Yeah, once anybody knows you're a writer, they're like, oh, here, I've got this copy of this book. And they get, I've, I've probably gotten three copies of that book, at least from people who are like, I, I read this half of it, but I'm not a writer, so you mightn't like it. Yeah, great book, but just not, not really a craft work. No, it's not. And maybe I should, uh, and I'm sure there's lots of people that read my books and go, this guy needs to read some books on how, how to write a book. But, but I haven't. And I actually was listening to a podcast, and this is terrible of me because I forget the name of it, of, of who it was. But they were talking about intuitive writers. Oh, it was um, Joanna Penns. And um, they were talking about uh, intuitive writers that um, intuitively know how to put structure and characters together in a book who can actually get derailed by trying to follow a given structure because they actually lay it all out. And I started listening to it and I'm saying, that sounds pretty pretentious to me <laughs> and, uh, or an excuse for not reading more books. So I was like, oh, maybe I should use that one because it's good for me. But it actually started making sense the more she uh, talked about it. It was, um, oh gosh, I'm terrible. We'll put it in the show notes because I'll, I'll look it up and put it in there. But I'm going to butcher her name if I say it. But um, she's actually coaches a lot of, about writing and what have you. And um, and it, it was pretty interesting. And I think there's a certain amount of truth to that because uh, I think for some of us, we accidentally put in a lot of the structure that people talk about. It sort of naturally forms as we write. Do you find that? I do. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more than 15 years into this thing now, maybe, well, almost 15 years into it, which doesn't sound like much, but remember from a high school kid who said he would never write anything. Now I'm writing full time. It's a lot of writing, you know, multiple millions of words and, you know, a lot of books out. I'm, I'm pretty good at certain things. And one of those things I think is the in intuition of knowing how a story needs to go. And all that said, I still like that structure. I still like having that outline in front of me. I'm not an intuitive writer. I don't write from the seat of my pants, as they say. Um, I have to have that outline, mostly because I'm dictating and I, I need to have just one chunk of very specific story in my mind when I when I go drive and dictate. But all that to say, you know, I've tried not writing with an outline, and what ends up happening is a story structure that follows very specific beats. You know, I, I have a midpoint. There's a twist, and you know, I've got an inciting incident and a hook way up front, and those things are very natural because that's what storytelling is. And, you know, I, I challenge anyone to find a story that's 
considered good and also mainstream because there's good stories that are, you know, specifically not within that structure, but that's on purpose usually. But I find any, I challenge anyone to find something that's considered good genre fiction, mainstream that doesn't follow the vast majority of these beats. And I would even argue that it's probably not on purpose. These authors did it into intuitively. So I, I, I love structure because for an author who may not know that into intuition, it's right there. Just do this and a story will pop out. Of course, I'm oversimplifying it. But for us, I think all three of us are the same. You know, we can look at a story and in our head and say, well, I know how to do this. I know how to get from point A to point B to point Z all the way through. And it's going to fall and it's going to come out like a story. And the, the creativity is going to be in moving those beats around a little bit and massaging them to make it fun to, to read. That comes with practice. That comes with time and sometimes talent and luck, you know, but I think all three of us are in that first category. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any right way or wrong way to do it. Again, I mean, freebasing heroin might be one of the ways I would say, <laughs> maybe not, like maybe don't use Stephen King's you model. For Hunter S. Thompson, <laughs> yes. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. But hey, main teeth the room, man. I'm not going to judge, like whatever. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, you talk about what you read. What what, what are some of your um, favorite authors or the things that you found as influential that got you to where the, like, the genre you're in? There's two big ones. You know, I, I'm not firmly in the tropical thriller category like you two. Um, I, I've dabbled in that. Uh, I've left it for people like you who do it better. But uh, I, I write action-adventure thrillers, is what I say. So Dan Brown, Clive Cussler, those kind of guys. My favorite author in that genre, the trad pub side, is James Rollins. He got me into it back in college, really, high school, when I was lifeguarding. I would, kind of funny, I would sit at this pool and I would read on the lifeguard stand all day long. Now, to be fair, to be fair... This was a, a new development, so people hadn't even moved in yet, but they had the pool done, and so legally they were required to have a lifeguard. So there was nobody <laughs> at the pool, and I, but I was getting paid like twelve bucks an hour to just sit on a lifeguard stand. I read every single James Rollins book that he had that summer. So <laughs> I love that. There's nobody visible above the surface of the pool. Yeah, no, I'm sure there may have been people in the pool, but how, how the hell was I supposed to know? I was looking at my book the whole time. <laughs> So I always mention James Rollins because he's a he's just a great dude. I've met him in person a couple times. The other one, probably the one that got me real, really into the writing side was Dan, Dan Brown. I'm aging myself here, but I read The Da Vinci Code, senior in high school. I was sitting down for a test and I finished the test, you know, because I'm a genius and everyone else was still taking it because they're dumb Texans. And I had all this time <laughs> to read. I had grabbed The Da Vinci Code off my dad's nightstand and took it to school and thinking, all right, you know, I'll try again. I have these stupid big old books like literature, you know. I hate them all. And I read it and I was hooked. I was like, you gotta be kidding. This is amazing. I'm not talking about his writing style. I, I thought it was fine. Whatever. People always bash him for that, but whatever. It was easy to read. And he he made me think and he had included the science and the history and the exotic places. And I thought, hell, if there's anything else like this, I'm going to find it. And that's how I found James Rollins and Clive Cussler and all those guys. So now when I write, that's my kind of formula is something prototype, you know, some kind of something scientific something historical if i can tie it back to the nazis i mean not everybody loves oh, hating yes. on the nazis right everyone wants to kill a nazi <laughs> right and then something in someplace exotic that's it that's what i do so that's kind of it all came from dan brown so those are the two big ones uh that i always mention it always baffles me why everyone bags on dan brown because I mean, he's more successful all, than them that's why that's that's the main thing it's like <laughs> there's a i don't know trillion people that have bought his books you want to find failed authors go look at one star reviews we're going to do a whole show on reviews, I think, one time. You should. Have you seen mine? I did a uh, – Dave Barons and I read our one-star reviews. Fascinating stuff. I think I stole the idea from you, actually. Oh, do it. It's, it's, it's good therapy, yeah. Yeah, we've got some doozies. So what elements do you have – when you're starting a book, what elements of that story do you need before you actually put 
pen to paper. Do you have to outline the whole thing or you just have a piece of it? I, I do. Now, let me answer this two ways. Um, if I'm not dictating, which is rare, I'm probably not going to sit down and type a whole book. Uh, I'll type part of it, but I'm not ever going to do that again because it's not fast enough. I don't type fast enough. So I usually dictate the whole thing, which means, again, I have to have an outline that's pretty granular. It's pretty specific. I want to know the setting. If I don't have settings labeled in the outline, every building becomes government beige. I, I just, I love that descriptor and I use that and I'll be talking open quote. She said, it's the building or, you know, open quote, it's the building that looks government beige, close quote, you know, she said, whatever. I, I just do that. Every building becomes the same. So I have to specifically say, don't fucking call the thing government beige, like do something, call it green or, you know, whatever. Um, that's the kind of detail that goes into my outlines. Cause I know my habit, right? If I'm not doing that, if I'm not dictating and I just need an outline, I don't usually have to have the whole thing. I need to know the scientific thing that I want to put in there. I want to know the the history. I want to know how 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 do I tie these together? That that's the creative fun for me, right? How do I make Nazis have something to do with bullet ants in South America? You know, like like what what are they are they 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 grabbed them and grabbed the serum out of them and used it for some kind of evil experiment on eugenics? Like great, there we go. That's the whole thread. Now I've got the I can do the history flashbacks. I can do the science expedition down to the the to Peru or whatever. And then I usually put it someplace exotic because I'm super lazy and I don't want to do a bunch of research. So if I put it in Philadelphia, people have been there. I haven't. My readers have all been. I've never been there, but my readers have all been there. I've what Philadelphia looks like. There's not rolling hills and everything smells like smoke. It looks like Detroit or what, you know whatever. I don't know. So I put it in Antarctica, you know, and they're like, "Well, I've never been to Antarctica." I'm like, "Yeah, you haven't. There's trees there. Sue me, you know." No, no one can question me if I put it somewhere they've never been. So someplace exotic, but it also it gives that kind of world traveler kind of feel, which is a big part of what I like in in, in my fiction. So uh, so that's it. I mean, that's really the formula. I need those three pieces. I usually need more than that. I need to know who the character is, but that's pretty much resolved these days since I have all these series. I'm like, okay, well, uh, that guy is going to get to do this one. Cool. Well, who is that? Shane Riley. Well, he's Australian, so he talks a certain way. Everything is crikey and shrimp on the Barbie, right? Yeah, I've never been to Australia. I'm pretty sure that's super accurate. Um, the point is, you know, I, I already been to a lot of Outback, yeah. haven't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been to the restaurant. I mean, they all eat the blooming onions. That's you know, a like, that's, onion. that's, that's, what like. that's that's what they all do down there. Trust me, it's I'm I'm a writer. So you know, the character I need to know, but I don't have to worry about that me personally because I've written all these different series. I just drop one in. I'm like, well, is this a techno thriller? Great, Josh Lane gets to do it. You know, is it somebody? Some some rich guy needs to find something. Well, that's Shane Riley book. You know. So that, that sort of kind of resolves itself. And then the last thing I'll say before I shut up is uh, I have noticed about my own writing that characters were hard. Everybody in my books, male or female, became a middle-aged, sarcastic white guy. Everybody. <laughs> Everybody sounded the same. They looked the same. They, they acted the same. I was like, shit, I don't know how to write these fucking characters. You know, so I, I backed off. I read some books on how to develop characters, got a little better at it, I hope. But even still, I will say this. I think in my genre, probably in yours too, the plot has to come first, but you can't do it without characters have to do the thing in your plot. Right. But unlike literature or literary fiction, you know, some, some of the commercial genres, like some of the romance stuff is really big on character. What we do, that plot has to be really fun. That's going to hook the reader. They're going to pick it up because of the plot, but they're going to fall in love because of the character. So if I do my job, well, they're going to buy the book because the plot is fun. Oh, cool. It's bullet ants and Nazis and, you know, Antarctica. Great. But if I can't get them to fall in love with one of my characters, they're not going to fall in love with the book. So those are that's kind of the the way I approach a book when I'm first starting out is, you know, a little formula and then who's in it and how do we make them lovable? Doug, I mean, you're pretty much a pantser, right? 
I have an outline that's not detailed. I like to jump between, like, I know where it's going to end and I know how it's going to start. And I usually try to put a couple of good action points in between and just figure out where I'm going to go. So I don't plot the whole thing out. I do sit there and in my head, at least I have a good idea of where I'm going to go. I couldn't dictate. I, I've given that a shot even with an outline and it's way too much editing afterwards. And I hate that. So I have a whole course about that. I know. I saw that. I was, <laughs> you, should check it out. you should check it out. I can help you with that. No, I'm, just I'm a horrible typist. I type really slow, which is absolutely perfect for me because my brain thinks really slowly. So Every line I edit as I'm doing the line because I get to the end of the line, then I go fix it, rewrite it. And then the next morning I go through the chapter I just did. I, I hate editing, absolutely despise editing. So these people that do, yeah, once I did the fifth draft, I got it cleaned up and I was happy with it. It's like fifth draft. Have you heard of these people that write like long form? Like they, they write with a piece of paper? Yes. Oh, oh my god! Like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, you know, we have technology for this now. <laughs> yeah. That's the masochist. When you talk about masochists, those are the ones right there who are like, I'm going to write it out longhand, then I'm going to type it out. That's my second draft. And then I'm going to, oh, it's so cathartic. I'm like, no, drinking is cathartic. <laughs> <laughs> and you're leading me to drink. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do That's that. It's just painful. I can't even read my own handwriting. I mean, I'd, start, I'd write it out once. I'd go back and go, I, what was the guy's name? Yeah, I'd jot down notes occasionally. And then I look back at them. I'm like, what did I say? I have, I've got no that idea what I wrote down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he is yeah. now. He is now. It's all I know. I'm weird. I don't have to have a, uh, well, I'm weird. I could just end the sentence there. But the um, in plotting, uh, to start a book, I don't know what I have to have. I have to have something. But I, I often don't know what the ending is. I'm pretty much, now. I do a lot of dual timeline stuff with my A.J. Bailey books. So I kind of need to know what era I'm going to set it back in. And one of the things that's uh, actually helped me have a little bit more structure starting off is pre-orders. Because uh, do you pre-order your stuff, Nick? I don't. I'm like one of the few that doesn't. I keep trying it. And then like I'm, I'm pretty disciplined. You know, if I say I'm going to finish a book by February 5th, the book's going to be done by February 5th, unless I set it up for pre-order. Like a year, I'd be, I'd be like, February 5th, 2025, let's do it. Yeah. And then 2025 comes up and I'm like, oh, I think I forgot anything, but well, okay. And then, Feb, you know, and then like January 30th, they're like, Amazon's like, Hey fucker, like we need your book. <laughs> Which is like, that's what they call. I don't know if you guys get that as well. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty sure it's everybody. Right. And and then I'm like, Oh fuck, I forgot about the book. I forgot about it. Okay. Shit. And then I'm like, you know, trying to write the whole thing and, and it's bad. So I don't, I don't do that anymore. Um, I'll probably go back to it. I, I always say I like to test stuff. You know, I'm, kind of the guy that likes to experiment with everything. So I'll go back and forth with it. I'll test it again. Like dropping prices, I'll do that. You know, I'll try pre-orders again. But right now, I don't. I'm trying to write 23 books in 2023. I, at this point, it's not going to happen. I'm already two books behind, but whatever. You know, the point is, I'm going to write fast. I'm going to write a lot. And so I don't want to limit myself to very specific hard day. I didn't know I was going to do a course, you know. And Dale Roberts of Self-Published with Dale uh, it's a friend of mine. He texted me. He was like, hey, man, I'm trying to figure out how to dictate. You should do a course. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to do a course right now. <laughs> and like I sat down and just like didn't stop. I just did a whole course and lost a whole week of writing time. But I, I made money on the course. So it was fine. But that's kind of why I don't like to do pre-orders because I don't – I'm like a little – I'm like, ooh, ooh, a bird. Oh, look at that, a squirrel. I get distracted by all kinds of business shit that I shouldn't be worried about, but I did, but I am. So I don't um, pre-order right now. If anybody's listening to this thinking they shouldn't, don't listen to me. I, I think – most authors I know are doing better with pre-orders than they're, than not. One of the benefits when we were talking about you know plotting is uh, I'm putting out a measly 
I, f- I feel completely inadequate in your present stack. I'm only putting out. <laughs> I, I, I get that. <laughs> I'm, I'm dropping to one knee as I said. I only put out four a year plus the some of the collabs oh, and stuff that oh, we're doing. So. Yeah, it's so slow, <laughs> but it's. I have two series, so I put out two books in each series. So now do the maths on that. It's every six months there's a book coming out. So now six months ahead, I need to put the pre-order, right? So book 13 just came out. I needed the pre-order for the next one. So I need a cover, I need a title, and I need some form of blurb to put in there. And putting in like the placeholder blurb, oh, I got emails about that. I only got one actually, but only one person complained. But boy, did they complain! But one one email represents like four billion people on the internet, though. So absolutely, of course it does. Yes, yeah. so uh, that's what I say when I only get one complimentary email too. Yeah, <laughs> so it forces you to put together some idea of what that story is going to be about, and now you have an anchor for it. Over the next six months, I've got it brewing in the back of my mind instead of those because I'm I'm a golden retriever as well. I mean, you throw a ball and I'm running after it. So, which is why I'm <laughs> in the mess I'm in trying to write four collab books alongside my books now. But yeah, it, it helps me in a more structured manner, put a story together before I start. So I've got a better idea going into it, I think. I think that's a great way to do it too. You kind of percolates, you know, for me, there's so many options like Nazis. Yeah. That's an easy one to go to, but what else? Like, okay, well, Russia's kind of a big deal right now. China's a big, scary thing with balloons and all that. These are the bad guys that show up in the books, but you know it can be a much closer to home. The point is that the sky is the limit. Going with the, the, the spy balloon analogy, I, I get so carried away with, well, okay, well, I've already done the Chinese. I've already done the Russians. I've already done Nazis a thousand times. Who can I make the bad? Well, let's just make it this one guy who's American and we don't know. you know. And, and then I start, well, what does he do? And then I build this whole thing and I'm like, I just need to limit myself. So let's do bullet ants with Nazis in Antarctica. Like let's just let's just keep writing that book over and over again. You know, let's find Atlantis for the fifteenth time. Who cares? <laughs> right. But I need to limit myself, and that's what having a pre-order with the blurb. That's kind of, when you said that, I was like, yeah, oh, that's that would be beautiful because I could know that's what the book is. That's it. It's just in this little neat box. The Nazis are just going to do their thing, and they're going to be Nazis. We're not going to make them good guys. Like you know, we're not doing any of that crap. We're not doing any of the creative stuff. We're not going to be you know genius. We're just going to write a damn book. That's what I need most of the time. And I don't give myself that. And so I wander and then I'm sitting there dictating and I'm like, what if the Nazis were good guys? How do we make that work? And then, you know, <laughs> nobody wants, nobody wants it. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a shocker. Not all Germans were Nazis. I know all of them. Every crazy. single Nazi, Even today, every single one today, they're all Nazis, right? Crazy thought here, but they weren't all Nazis. How about that? All Chinese are evil little people and all Russians are spies and all Germans are Nazis. Like this was taught to me in Texas public school. <laughs> yeah. So I'm actually someone who's been to China. And in fact, I've been all the way across China from Hong Kong to Beijing in a car. <laughs> it's probably so. You it can was, tell by the accent. Was, <laughs> you can tell by the accent he's a spy. So, you know, <laughs> he's trying to re <laughs> uncolonize us, I think is what it is. So. <laughs> and Bond, James Bond. It's a story for another time, but yeah, we did a rally and we drove all the way across to China. So quick question. You have 23 books you're hoping to do this this year, or if you're behind like 20, I assume that's across all your series. Um, how do you keep all your characters straight? <laughs> they're all the same character. Like I said, they're all just the same guy. One just has like a chip in his, in, in the back of his skull that helps him with stuff. So that's the techno thriller, but they're all, yeah, they're all the same guy. I got Josh Lane. I got Jim Riker. I got Jack Barr. I mean, they're all start with Jay, literally. I mean, they're, Harvey Bennett's the one exception, and that that was painful to name him. Well, you have Mason, <laughs> right? Mason in the Dixon. alphabet, yeah. 
Mason. Mason was the other one. But that that kind of that just named himself, you know. And they're all you. Yeah, they're all me. Middle aged white guys, sarcastic middle aged white guys, even the women, <laughs> even the female characters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point, it's easy enough to keep them straight. I've got some persona documents on each one. It's an app that you can character sheet and all that. I don't spend a whole lot of time because inevitably, whatever I end up writing will be different than what I've planned. And so that kind of that character sort of reveals himself. This is, I'm going to start sounding super pretentious. And I promise I'm not. Like, I don't do the whole like discovery. Let's just figure out who the writer is. Let him speak to me. Bullshit. I don't do that. <laughs> um, but to, you know, I gotta admit, I'm starting to write and a few chapters into it. He's doing something, and I'm oh, I didn't know he likes boxing. That's okay, whatever. Yeah, so yeah. that becomes who the character is because uh, of whatever. And uh, at that point, it kind of solidifies in my brain. I'm three or four or five chapters into it, and I'm like, okay, I know who this guy is. I know what he's doing. I know what his strengths are. I know what his weaknesses. And it was Achilles' heel. That happened with Shane Riley, the one that it hasn't even dropped yet. I was originally going to co-write it, uh, pulled back on that because I wrote a whole outline and it never happened. So I'm, I'm writing it now. And it's a super fun book, like a village of eyeless villagers in North Korea is kind of like the little thing, right? But the, the guy's name is Shane Riley. He's an ex-Australian uh, special forces soldier who's now like a... Hey, wait, 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 wait. He's ex-Australian? He's an ex-Australian. he's Australian. He's ex-Australian. He doesn't live in Australia anymore. He's, yeah, he escaped. He got out. Uh, he's not in the penal <laughs> colony because every Australian's a prisoner. You know, we yeah. know that, right? Just, Absolutely. As far as the English are concerned. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. right, right. No, so he's, he's, a, he's a retriever. Now, he literally goes and finds things for people. His special skill is to go hunt things down. He's got a moral compass, but it's, it's gray. And so he'll go find things and do what needs to be done to get the thing back as long as someone pays him enough money. His one exception, his one rule is that he doesn't retrieve people. He doesn't go get people. He doesn't want anything to do with that, right? So, of course, the first chapter, he's diving. He's actually off the coast of New Zealand. See, he's not Australian. And he's diving, looking for, and I didn't know what it was. But I'm like, he's diving. I know that there's going to be somebody that drives up on a boat above him, and he's got to come back up and be like, what you guys want? you know?" And they kidnap him and take him, and then the book starts. But I didn't know what he was diving for until I'm writing this chapter. And all of a sudden, I realized, oh, this guy needs closure because his wife was murdered by dumping her car out of a ship into the ocean where he's diving. And he's looking for the, the car and her body to get closure. And I'm like, well, oh, hell, wow. that's a pretty – Pretty yeah. intense, you know, backstory. Yeah, very, very. No, no plan whatsoever. That wasn't in the original outline at all. It was just, who's Kate? What's she doing? Oh, she's dead. She's down here. That's who he's looking for. So he comes back up and he's like, I don't want to go with you guys. I'm busy. And they're like, what are you doing? You working? And he's like, nope, I don't need money right now. I'm good. I'm doing something else. And then, of course, they're like, it's not a request, you know. And he gets on the boat and goes and that's launches him into the book. So it's really fun. But that that happens all the time. So I don't like to limit myself to say, okay, well, Harvey Bennett is this. I go with the Dwight Swain thing. I'll do a noun of vocation and an adjective of uh, merit or something like that, right? So he'll be a reclusive park ranger, right? That That's about all I'll do. That's enough for me personally, who writes terrible characters, again, uh, to, to go and make him what I need him to be, which is just a cardboard silhouette of, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, that, that, that usually gives me enough to go off of. This has been fantastic. So to wrap up, what have you got coming out next of your 23 23- I am very close to finishing the draft on uh, Harvey Bennett 14, I think it is. Haven't landed on the title yet. It's something going to be Russian. They're all, of course, spies over there, as okay. we all know. All Russians. Um, so it's a book about spies. Yeah. And caves. Harvey Bennett hates caves, so every book he ends up in a cave, which I think is hilarious, but uh, probably boring for my readers. But hey, 14 books into it, you got to kind of stick to the script. <laughs> and And what's the most recent one that came out? Uh, the Contestant. That was the techno thriller. That was book one of the Josh Lane. That one was hard. 
that strangely, for whatever reason, took me like a year to write. I kept coming back to it. And, but it's it's a fantastic book, if I do say so, man. It's um it's a lot of fun. It's a real through and through techno thriller, you know, with the, all the tropes and everything. And uh, I just I I think I nailed it. It kind of ends on a cliffhanger because it got to be a little unwieldy. So I just cut it and went to the second one. So warning, you know, there it, it's it's a book, but it it does end with the main thread not being resolved. So, but at this point in the game, I don't think any of my readers. Yeah, I don't think they thought it was going to be just one and done. They know there's oh, there's going to be 15 books in this stupid series now. Yeah, and they only have to wait a week or two, and the next one will be out. That's so right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, brilliant. So what we do on this show is this really silly thing where we spin a wheel, and uh, we have 10 questions on the wheel, which uh, Douglas has there. Look and at that. Um, Too bad yeah, nobody can have, read that handwriting. Well, it's a good job this is an audio podcast. Right, so the yeah. key, the key is the, the sound. sound that it's... How about that? Huh? Folks, that is that is real effects. That's practical effects right there. That was not added in post. So the question we have for you, Nick, today is what is your least favorite movie? August Rush. Oh, my son. Remember that? Remember that? Yes. Remember this drivel? (laughs) I was in music school. I was literally getting a composition degree and this fucking movie comes out and they're like, this guy can see music in electrical wires and then plays it like Mozart. I'm like, that's not fucking real, guys. Stop thinking that. Everybody in my like network, minus the music people, were like, that's totally real. You can be a prodigy. And I'm like, yes, that's not what that is, though. It's totally wrong. It's totally false. The acting is horrendous. Robin Williams shows up as some weird pedophile, and then which has just pissed everybody off, you know. And I'm like, this doesn't even know what it's supposed to be. It's up there with Happy Feet, another weird Robin Williams movie, right? But the whole point is that one just made me so angry. It was like I don't even want to like. I was best friends with a cellist who went to Berkeley, and you know, the, the very end of it, they're playing box prayer, which doesn't look like this, right? That's not how that goes. And every single scene where anyone's playing anything, I'm like, that. I play guitar, I play piano. That's not how that looks, you know? Chopin <laughs> doesn't do that. Like, it's, it's yeah, whatever. So it was just, everything was wrong. It's not hard to get right. That's what pissed me off. Right. It's not hard to do um, a movie about music and, and prodigies and have it be real. But that one made me angry. You can say that for, to Hollywood about every subject, sport, anything. Coming from a background of motor racing, there has never been, well, actually, since the 60s when they made Le Mans and Grand Prix, they are by far the best racing movies. Everything they've made since is complete drivel. I think, well, I mean, it might, except Need for Speed, right? That one was pretty. Yeah. Days of Thunder? Days of Thunder was right, I thought. Right? <laughs> Days of Thunder has one realistic scene in it, and that's the rental car chase scene, because that I can tell you stories has happened. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Fast and Furious franchise is also quite. A- Michael Bay does hold accuracy to a pretty high standard in his movies. I'm pretty sure. I do like how we, as writers who make shit up for a regular day, are like, no, that's not at all accurate in this book in this movie. Like, <laughs> it just it makes me angry because when I put a safety on a Glock, you know, and then I'm like, which the whole book was fucking accurate. Mine is the stupid Glock. Just forget it. And then you watch these stupid movies like August rush and, you know, days of thunder. And you're like, what the fuck? This isn't even close or any military movie. My God. Like uh, I, even I know like, Oh, well, the insignia is wrong. Okay, cool. Well, you got to be pretty obvious for me to notice that, you know, try to call it a clip or a magazine or vice versa. And man, you get just yelled at about that. Too, he so. stuck the clip in his gun. Oh, did he now? <laughs> did he really? I've got arc readers who just jump all over that stuff. So fortunately they have a good yeah, filter at this system. Point in the game, I do too. Yeah, got a bunch yeah. of, bunch of gun porn nuts. So that's easy enough to, to get rid of most of that. But I just, at this point, I just say, I just say it's a gun. 
It's a guy went bang bang. Somebody died. Next shot, boom. You know. And my main character is AJ Bailey, and she's this English young lady in, in the Cayman Islands. So she's just scared shitless of guns. She hates guns. So Perfect. it's really easy. He had a big gun. You he know, had a big that's gun. All, it's her perspective. It, yeah, yeah. She really hates guns, and she absolutely hates guns that are pointed at her. So they're just guns. So it's it's easy then. All right. I think we've offended enough people for one show. Uh, Nick, thank you for being here thank and making our much. show twice as long as it's supposed to be. Of course. I'm happy to help. Always great to chat with you. Really appreciate you being here. And we'll uh, definitely have you on again because I'm pretty sure we can get some more good stories out of you. Oh, for sure, man. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Love being here. Well, that was a ton of fun with Nick Thack. He's an entertaining guy, and we'll be sure to uh, get him back on the show at some point. So thank you very much for listening in. Yes, and remember to subscribe to our show. Give us a review. Those help a lot. Uh, and check out the show notes for links to our books and social media, as well as anything we might have uh, mentioned during the uh, program. And if you can, support the show by buying our books or gifting them to other people. Great. And our next episode, we'll be discussing Shifting Gears, and our guest will be James Hinchcliffe who shifted his gears from being a successful race car driver into the commentating booth. Uh, look for the new episode in two weeks. Awesome. That sounds great. Until then, be cool to each other. And fair winds and following seas. You've been listening to the Two Authors Chat Show with Nicholas Harvey and Douglas Pratt. Douglas Pratt.